Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis holds another campaign rally-style press conference to promote an education proposal aimed at critical race theory. State-run citizens property insurance voted to seek an 11% rate hike. And COVID-19 cases are on the rise again in Florida amid fears of the Omicron variant. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. But first, well, that music means it's time for some numbers. John, you have a number for us this week? Zach, I do. It's a, uh, a number three, a big three. All right. How about you, Antonio? I'm going a little higher, 1,038. And my number is 24. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis is ending 2021 with a bang, unveiling another piece of legislation this week that is sure to fire up the GOP base. The governor held a press conference in central Florida to tout the so-called Stop Woke Act. In this case, woke is an acronym for wrongs to our kids and employees. And the governor is saying his bill will stop children from being taught critical race theory and also stop corporations from employing racially sensitive training that is elements of critical race theory. DeSantis didn't take any questions at the event, and he passed out hats to the crowd like he was uh, Trump distributing MAGA gear. John, the politics of this are pretty transparent. Wokeness and critical race theory are big objects of scorn on the right. Where does this bill fit into the governor's overall re-election strategy? Well, uh, divide and conquer seems to be the governor's re-election strategy and, uh, you know, basically cite a problem that he can blame on Democrats, creating a sort of a political straw man uh, as such, and then uh, say that he's going to knock it down and fix it in the coming year. And uh, thanks to the help he'll uh, certainly receive from the Republican-controlled Florida legislature on this critical race subject, uh, you know, and, and frankly, so many other things that he's proposed for the coming session. Uh, the critical race theory has been a Fox News favorite ever since the uh, advent of the Black Lives Matter movement that flourished following the uh, George Floyd killing in uh, Minnesota last year. And while while the governor already demanded that the Board of Education ban its teaching in Florida public schools, uh, along with the New York Times 1619 project, which ironically, the chairman of the Board of Education uh, acknowledged he was unfamiliar with, uh, even as he supported uh, banning its teaching in school. Um, but, but, but now uh, the governor is stepping up his effort to basically eradicate critical race theory from the landscape in Florida. Uh, in his news conference this week in Sumter County, which is the the reddest of Florida's Republican counties, uh, he talked about legislation he wants that will not only affirm his ban on critical race theory in schools, uh, even letting parents sue school boards and uh, recover attorney's fees if they feel their child was 
wrongfully exposed to critical yeah, that, race Yeah, that's theory. an interesting element to this, John. I mean, aren't uh, Republicans normally against giving plaintiffs' attorneys more things to sue yeah. about? Yeah, wouldn't you think? I mean, that that is something that is always uh, alarming for Republicans, but they're, they're kind of going for it in a big way, similar to how in the special session last month, uh, there were elements of the, that expanded potential causes of action related to vaccine requirements. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if, if they can wave that flag of uh, you're going to get sued, uh, that, that, that's another thing that they're using now in their uh, culture war fights. But uh, the, the the governor also wants to uh, extend this this ban on critical race theory to companies in Florida that that somehow use the idea that America has systemic problems of race. Uh, that's a very short explanation of what critical race theory is. Um, you know, when it comes to companies' various uh, employee training programs, I guess uh, he wants to dictate the terms of how private industry addresses uh, you know, diversity training in the workplace or the, the language of the scripts that they use when making workplace presentations to staff. I mean, that, that's another uh, deep reach uh, by Republicans who once wanted to leave businesses alone. Yeah. But, um, and know, that's again, pretty interesting, too, because, I mean, that could get some pretty big pushback from businesses, right? I mean, if you're basically saying that uh, an employee of whatever company, Florida Power and Light or whatever, Disney, whatever big company in Florida, Publix, if they don't like your uh, inclusion training or your your um, you know, diversity training that your company does, they can they can sue you. Yeah, I mean that is uh, if this goes into effect. I mean, still it's it's conceptual legislation the pro, the governor is talking about right now. We'll have to see how it's uh, crafted because we've seen this before with the gov this governor. You know where. We had a sanctuary cities ban that didn't do an awful lot. We had a e-verify requirement that also didn't do an awful lot. They're very inflammatory topics, however. And um, but in the end, what they wind up passing as law sometimes is, uh, you know, hard to define. So will it ever have much of an impact in the workplace? In this case, you know, our, our who's going to come in and police these things at the uh, corporate level when it comes to uh, what is considered quote unquote critical race theory, which again, in and of itself, it, as we've, we've spoken before on, is not really directly taught in schools and it's not really directly taught in the workplace. Uh, the governor seems to cite some, you know, uh, remote examples of, uh, of other uh, communities outside of Florida that may have done something that teeters on what could be considered critical race theory and uses that as an example of, you know, it's happening everywhere, you know, and this is a, 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 a problem that has to be, you know, cracked down on. But, um, you know, I guess we're going to have to see what this legislation looks like in the end. But uh, because, again, you know, the, the, the few examples he could come up with about woke corporate culture and corporate training programs uh, were, were all somewhere else. So, you know, will it have another will it have a real effect? That's a whole nother question based on whatever we actually see in the form of legislation. But, you know, like with so many things with Governor DeSantis, this, uh, you know, quote unquote legislation seems to be largely aimed at pushing political buttons, you know, getting himself out of boys from conservative voters and many and, and money in the end, you know, from many of these same donors as uh, he has been very successful at. Um, 
you know, sure enough, just hours after he uh, made this announcement in Sumter County, his reelection team sent out a fundraising email uh, uh, seeking to capitalize on his latest uh, attack on critical race theory. Yeah, and you make a good point, though, John. I mean, there's a lot of these bills that have that are sort of uh, prominent um, issues on the right, like sanctuary cities that have come and gone over the last few years under this governor, um, and they they don't seem to have amounted to a whole lot. You don't hear about them um, being enforced or they've been overturned in the courts. So we'll see what happens with this. Um, you know, DeSantis obviously thinks this issue uh, is uh, good to campaign on, Antonio, but does he risk alienating some voters by appearing too partisan? Yeah, except that now in Florida, for the first time in history, there are more registered Republicans than Democrats. So the governor surely feels emboldened. And look, as, as we have spoken about in previous podcasts, a partisan, increasingly hard right campaign message has been a winner for Republicans in Florida for the past decade. That, that's how Rick Scott, an unknown wealthy businessman, upset the Republican establishment to win the governor's mansion with backing of the Tea Party back in 2010. And it's how Donald Trump routed two Florida re, uh, Republican favorite sons, Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, to win the GOP nomination in 2016. And how Trump won the state's electoral votes in 2020, even as he lost the presidency by, you know, 70 plus electoral votes and seven million popular votes last year. Yeah, Trump. So, I mean, Trump never moderated, and and his message seemed to play pretty well here in Florida. I mean, the, this there's some talk that, especially in South Florida, there's concern about, um, you know, kind of some of the some of these issues, especially among Hispanic voters who are concerned about some of the law, uh, some of the unrest potentially from these um, racial justice protests. I mean, is this potentially? I uh, have, uh, uh, you know, play well to, to some uh, voters who aren't obviously in the GOP vase. Yeah, but look, I mean, that's how DeSantis has been campaigning. Look, look, look no further than the pandemic. You know, no mask mandates, no vaccine mandate mandates, no biomedical security state and, and total opposition to, quote unquote, Fauciism, you know, and. And through it all, he has built a campaign war chest and juiced up his standing and name recognition far from Florida. But look, the, to be honest, you know, like the quest, the answer to the question is less about DeSantis and actually more about his Democratic rivals. Look, they have been very critical of DeSantis, not just um, the, the three running for governor, you know, Charlie Crist, uh, Nikki Fried, and Annette Tadeo, but also even the, the Democratic Democrats in Florida's congressional. Uh, delegation, they've also been very critical. But less than a year from the 2022 primary in the general election, the Democratic gubernatorial candidates don't seem to have gotten a lot of traction while DeSantis has coalesced the GOP plurality behind him and racked up tens of millions of dollars for his campaign. So yeah, DeSantis' partisanship surely will turn off some voters, but right now he doesn't seem to be paying a, a political price for it. Well, I'm just wondering about the race issue in general, Antonio. I mean, what what do you think about how this issue plays in Florida? I mean, there there's uh, there's you know obviously Trump. A lot of people said that you know that that his the way that he characterized Hispanics was uh, was not uh, uh, racially sensitive uh, to, to to say the least. I mean, um, you know that uh, you know, but he waded into these issues. Uh, he wasn't afraid to kind of jump in uh, to to this racial debate. And DeSantis doesn't seem to be either. Well, he even equated it with socialism. I remember being at a um, Latinos for Trump event in Hialeah covering it last year and. 
one of the speakers at, at, at that event, you know, likened the uh, the Black Lives Movement. He said it was part of the global socialist crusade. And, and so I, I think that they have done in a lot of Hispanic communities. Look, there are many people, particularly uh, people who have moved here, immigrants and exiles from the Americas who have come here. And part of it is that they fear crime and kidnappings and personal security in their home countries and they're here. So when they see here things you know, like defund the police and, um, and see the unrest, even though there was very little unrest after the, the George Floyd killing here in Florida, um, still it, it, the, the connotations and the political rhetoric, I, I think made inroads. And that's one of the reasons why we saw that really stunning decrease in the number of Hispanic votes from Miami-Dade County that uh, Joe Biden got versus what Hillary Clinton had got, had received four years before. A lot of the GOP rhetoric has been, you know, has really uh, hurt Democrats. In addition, you know, the truth of the matter is that Republicans down here, when it comes to Hispanic voters, and keep in mind that many Hispanic voters are people that work for small and medium-sized businesses. And the way they speak about, you know, lowering regulations and lowering taxes, that is really appealing. And I, you know, and that that's also something that Republicans have been doing very successfully for many, many years. So, you know, that they've hardened their rhetoric, that the rhetoric has become a lot sharper, a lot more pointed and, and you know, and, and hyperbolic when it comes to issues like race and, um, you know, and, and police reforms and so forth. Um, you know, that's just more of a going down that, that trajectory, you know, that they, they've been very successful. They were extremely successful in 2020. And I, I, they're, they're going to play that card again this next year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much this issue has sort of boomeranged back. I mean, uh, you know, DeSantis and other Republicans really do seem to think that this um, message that that uh, liberals are trying to divide people on race um, is is resonating, or or they wouldn't keep uh, repeating it. So um, the only way to tell is uh, what happens uh, um, during the election season. Well, while DeSantis was hammering on critical race theory a major florida property insurance company was gearing up for another big rate hike the board of citizens property insurance voted to boost rates 11 percent for policies renewing later this year and 12 percent for policies renewing early next year state-run citizens insures 745,000 policies in florida it's grown considerably in recent years as the state's private insurers have struggled. Conservatives don't like to see citizens get too large, arguing that it undercuts the private market. And these rate hikes are aimed at shrinking the company by making its policies less attractive. But with so many people already struggling to afford housing costs, hiking citizens' rates could add to the housing affordability crisis in Florida. Antonio, DeSantis approved legislation last year that increased the cap on citizens' rates from 10% to 15%, and the company is now taking advantage of that. I remember when spiking home insurance rates became a big political issue uh, you know, in the last decade. Should DeSantis be concerned about how this will play with voters going into the next election cycle? Well, look, you're right that consumer and uh, pocketbook issues are a big deal in Florida, especially as prices are rising across the board. Look what's just going on with gasoline prices and the, um, kind of a talking point in, in political conversations. But you know, and ironically, the, the Florida politician at the center of that insurance political firestorm back in the late 2000s was none other than Charlie Crist. At the time, he was the Republican governor 
who took a very populist line in attacking the insurance companies. But that position actually cost him with Florida's business community. And ultimately, he was run out of the GOP by the growing Tea Party faction back in 2010. Look, the question here is, who's going to tie those insurance rate hikes to the governor? As I said earlier, you know, Florida Democrats I've spoken with say the biggest challenge uh, next year is messaging. And in particular, he said messaging that holds DeSantis accountable for policies and, and their consequences, at, at least of the way the Democrats see it. And one example is last year's disastrous meltdown of the unemployment benefit system. We all reported on what a mess that was. And, and that was a, a state, you know, Republican concoction. Yet in the 2020 elections, you didn't hear Democrats say a peep about it. Even though the mismanagement of the jobless benefit system happened on the Republican leadership's watch, and a lot of people suffer for it, Democrats in the state never made it a campaign issue. Meanwhile, DeSantis has been extremely apt and opportunistic at times. Remember that stimulus bill that congressional Democrats passed this spring without any GOP support? And recall that when U.S. Senator Rick Scott implored Florida Republican leaders to send the money back to Washington? Well, as John has reported in the, in the past, you know, not only did DeSantis and Florida GOP lawmakers not send the money back, they took credit for issuing bonuses to Florida public employees with the money that came you know, from those same Biden bucks. So you think he's going to be spending some money on affordable housing to uh, kind of negate this? I, 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 you know, I, look, we have been hearing about affordable housing in this state for the better part of the last 20 years, and, but it's never crossed over to the political arena. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know a politician in this state who lost an election because of housing costs. Um, yeah. we see, we've seen them lose because of you know inflation and, and other issues and other pocketbook issues. The question is, how are you going to tie these insurance rate hikes to the bill that you know the, the GOP legislature passed and that the government's governor signed? That it all comes down to messaging and, and money behind a, a messaging campaign. And so I guess messing with, you know, messing with legislation that allows home insurance rate hikes is playing with fire in Florida. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but unless Democrats can make that connection for voters, it's hard to see where the governor will pay a political price for it. And to be fair, the argument on the other side is that, uh, you know, shrinking citizens allows more competition, allows the private market to grow, allows more competition and that more competition will drive down property insurance rates, but it doesn't seem like that's really uh, happened. Uh, and uh, the rates uh, have keep going up uh, in recent years. So, um, you know, it is an issue that is a little bit um, obscure. I, I don't, I'm not sure that it's one that'll be a, a central campaign issue, but it's one of those pocketbook issues. And as we talk about inflation, um, inflation of housing costs, inflation of property insurance costs, you, you can't come up with a, a bigger issue that really hits people in the pocketbook. I mean, your home is usually, you know, the, the, you know, the biggest cost for people, their mortgage, their property insurance rates, especially in Florida, property insurance rates are very high compared to the rest of the country. People are often shocked when they move here to see how high the property insurance rates. And it's because we are a state that's at risk of uh, hurricanes and uh, it's, a, it's a risky state uh, to live in, but uh, it's also a state where the insurance market has just been uh, very dysfunctional in a lot of ways and uh, the rates just keep going up. So um, it, it's just an interesting issue to watch. Another issue that is sure to be on voters' minds in 2022 is the pandemic. How it will play out in Florida over the next year remains to be seen, but another wave of infections is possible and may already 
be underway. The number of new COVID-19 infections in Florida has been dropping for weeks, but it started to climb again over the last few weeks. And um, each actually each of the last two weeks in particular, um, the number of uh, total cases, uh, new infections for that those weeks um, increased. So it's too early to really tell if another wave is starting, but other states are bracing for increased transmission as holiday travel picks up and the more infectious Omicron variant starts to take hold. California recently reinstated an indoor mask mandate for businesses and public spaces. John, with the governor determined uh, here in Florida to not impose any new public health mandates, where does that put the state as uh, uh, if another wave comes? That, that's a good question, Zach. Uh, you know, uh, unlike past waves of the virus, uh, when local governments and school boards took some action, <laughs> this time around, it looks like they would be largely banned from imposing mask requirements, uh, you know, on their grounds. Uh, now, a uh, you know, a, a law approved last year limits local emergency powers to a maximum of 42 days, but there have been so many actions in the past year, most recently in the November anti-vaccine mandate special session, that it looks like any local government or private business would be wary of stepping into anything that looks like a, a mask requirement at this point. Uh, vaccine requirements are totally out the window in this state as far as that goes. But, um, you know, so how, how are we going to do? It's really an unknown. But, you know, you know, one early test will be right here in Tallahassee when uh, the legislative session itself starts on January 11th. Um, during last year's legislative session, the, the Capitol remained mostly closed to the public and COVID-19 testing of lawmakers and staff was going on daily on the Capitol grounds. Um, those virus precautions are, are now gone, uh, although social distancing is still encouraged inside committee rooms in the House and Senate. But, um, you know, in another change from a year ago, all the, all the usual trappings of a legislative session are expected to return this year. Uh, you know, you're going to have tents out in the Capitol courtyard for afternoon and evening displays by various counties and associations. Uh, they're all going to be back. You got food and cocktails served out there and, you know, kind of full court schmoozing underway when anyone needs a break from debate inside the, the state's, uh, you know, 22 story uh, Capitol building. Um, you know, you're going to have the, the, the wide eyed school groups. They'll also be back uh, touring and pressing their collective noses to the glass of the House and Senate galleries. Uh, but with uh, the, the, the Delta variant still coursing and now Omicron coming on, you, you got to wonder, can a two month session in a fully open Capitol get by without major disruption? You know, we'll, we'll be watching and I'll be wearing a mask after yeah. being triple vaccinated. Yeah, I, well, it's business as usual in the Capitol and it's it's probably business as usual uh, throughout all of Florida, really. I mean, uh, that the, the governor has really uh, been aggressive in trying to limit any restrictions whatsoever. So, um, you know, any anything at the local government level seems um, out the window for the most part. So we're, we'll really see um, what, what happens if there is a big wave and, and there's really little effort um, or no effort uh, to contain it. Um, you know, hospitals uh, during Delta, they, a lot of them did get pushed um, to their limits. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, here in Sarasota, I think they had to um, expand the emergency, um, the intensive care unit. They had to actually double it and take over um, a bunch of surgical wings, uh, 
uh, suspend uh, elective surgeries. So people, if they needed like a, a shoulder replacement or a knee replacement, they couldn't get that. So it was a big strain on the hospital system. Hopefully, um, if there is another wave, uh, you know, a lot of people are vaccinated now. We won't see um, the strain that we saw um, during Delta, but uh, you never know. And uh, we'll see how it pans out. The uh, one other thing of note um, about Omicron, I, I saw something today in the Orlando Sentinel where the director of the, the uh, solid waste department said that they had been testing the sewage there and that Omicron is already the dominant variant um, uh, according to sewage samples in that community. So um, it does seem like it's uh, spreading in this state. Um, there's reports that it is has not caused a severe illness. So think a lot of people have their fingers crossed right now. Well, we'll move on to um, some numbers. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, gentlemen, my uh, number 1038 is the number of manatee deaths reported through early this month, this year. And that um, is a record so far. Uh, in fact, it's a record shattering number because for comparison, let's say, you know, on average, some hundred, 540 manatees more or less die every year or are reported to die every year. So this is close to double the pace. And about 75% of the manatee deaths this year have been reported along the Atlantic coast, especially in the Indian River Lagoon, where sea grasses have been wiped out by algae blooms and, and nutrient-laden runoff. Look, the manatees are treasured wildlife species and iconic in Florida, where the lovable uh, mammal is beloved by residents and tourists alike, and it's among the most popular marine animals up there with sea turtles and porpoises. So the staggering death toll isn't just alarming, it's, it's heartbreaking for a lot of people. Historically, many, many, many manatee deaths are the result of collisions with boats and their propellers, but this year's die-off is being fueled by a lack of food sources. In fact, many manatees are just starving to death. And that's forced the Fish and Wildlife Commission into taking the seemingly desperate effort to feed them in the wild. What's happening here is, is manatees are paying the price for years of ineffective efforts to preserve and restore the health of Florida's environment, especially in that Indian River Lagoon areas. Um, and as stewards of the environment, you know, humans have a responsibility to care for all animals among us. When it comes to the manatee, the record number of deaths is a damning record of failure. So, so far, however, the mass starvation of manatees hasn't been a political issue but perhaps in 2022 it should be. Yeah, that, that is uh, just a, a really, really sad story. My kids have have stuffed manatees. They're such an iconic um, stuffed manatee toys, I should say. Um, but uh, they're such a uh, iconic uh, species in Florida and it, it really is sad to see um, you know, sort of the, the total collapse of the ecosystem over there that they uh, rely on. John, uh, you wanna tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, my three, that's the number of residents of the villages who have been arrested for voter fraud. Three seniors in this Republican-heavy community were arrested on third-degree felonies uh, earlier for casting ballots in Florida and also in other states. Uh, two of the accused are registered Republicans and the other is a non-affiliated voter. But the uh, the arrests, one thing that, that's remarkable is they drew no real comment from the governor or other leading Republicans who have been sounding the alarm about the risk of voter fraud, you know, all part of former President Trump's uh, steady drumbeat that he lost last November because of, uh, November, uh, because of fraud. Um, you know, Governor DeSantis has uh, uh, defended the efficiency and security of Florida's election last year, but... Um, 
you know, he always uh, leaves open the idea that, uh, you know, President Trump was robbed somehow in this past election. But here we did have fraud, mostly involving a Republican area. And uh, there's there's no reaction from uh, the leading Republicans. Uh, This comes even as the governor has already called for establishing a a new law enforcement unit within the Department of State to investigate allegations of election wrongdoing at the local and state levels. Uh, This election police, 52 uh, investigators uh, on hand, um, 5.7 million proposed in his uh, new state budget that he unveiled last week. Uh, This election police is causing alarm among get out the vote groups and election supervisors advisors who who don't know how this is going to uh, play and um, you know how it's going to uh, be uh, deployed uh, there, there's some fear that this will be selectively used against certain communities while other communities get a pass or other uh, other uh, candidates that do something wrong and uh, maybe what we're seeing the, the the silence coming out of the uh, the villages arrests not really getting any kind of resounding condemnation from the governor or other leading Republicans does show that this uh, it could be subject to selective enforcement. Uh, the governor, by contrast, he, he loves condemning ballot harvesting, the, the collecting of ballots by you know neighbors or community groups that uh, is often very popular uh, in minority communities. Uh, the governor has always said that this is a ripe area for fraud, uh, although he doesn't really have any proof of that. But when something here goes wrong in the villages where every Republican state or national candidate loves to campaign, the reaction is strangely silent. The villages, uh, always uh, uh, something interesting coming out of there. Um, and uh, also noteworthy that uh, another the big case of uh, potential election fraud in Florida is, is also um Tied to the GOP through Frank Artilles and the ghost candidate scandal. So uh, um, we'll wait and see if uh, some of these issues come up as they debate um, more election changes in Florida. But my number is 24. That's the number of Moms for Liberty chapters in Florida. Moms for Liberty exploded onto the political scene this year, first in Florida and then the around the entire country. It's a Florida-based group known for confronting school officials about COVID-19 policies, specifically uh, mass mandates, and the group now claims 70,000 members across 165 chapters in 33 states, and Florida has the most um, chapters with 24. It's been growing really uh, just uh, pretty explosively, um, uh, really, is, since it was only incorporated on January 1st. So they're claiming 70,000 members in less than a year, which would be, um, you know, a, a pretty substantial uh, new political group. I wrote an in-depth story about Moms for Liberty with a colleague of mine that was published uh, earlier this month in Gannett's Florida newspapers, and we found a lot of pretty interesting information. For example, the group now has three federal PACs, including a super PAC that can accept uh, unlimited contributions. So, you know, not your average mom group with a a federal super PAC there. It also has a state PAC in Florida called the Joyful Warriors uh, Political Committee that will be raising money to influence school board races uh, across the state. I also found a strong ties between Moms for Liberty and the, the Florida GOP, indicating the group could act as a de facto arm of the Republican Party in the upcoming 
uh, election cycle, which could ratchet up the partisanship that's really been building around school board races for years. These are not, uh, you know, sort of nominally nonpartisan races, but the parties um, increasingly have gotten involved. And now you have uh, Moms for Liberty weighing in uh, on the conservative side. You're also having uh, Governor Ron DeSantis saying that he's going to get involved in school board uh, elections. And you see his focus on education politics with this Stop uh, Woke Act. He really feels, obviously, that this is a uh, uh, an explosive issue that that is good to campaign on, and Moms for Liberty is is really uh, at the vanguard of of uh, these debates, and uh, could be a, a group to watch in 2022. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.